Well, this morning, we are continuing our series on improving your life in 2017. And today, we are going to be talking about getting offended. Being offended is something we're talking a lot about nowadays, isn't it? Uh, Many people would say that as a country, we are too easily offended. Well, no one knows more about being offended than the people on Twitter. And so, uh, um, to start things off today, I just wanted to share some tweets that I found on Twitter um, with the hashtag offended. It'll get us thinking about these things. So, uh, here's what some people shared. Here's, here's a real, real life post. Carrie, I'm assuming that's her friend. Uh, Carrie hasn't liked my tweets from the past two days. And let me just say, I'm high key, hashtag offended. If he ignores your meme, is that his not so subtle way of breaking up with you? Hashtag offended. Uh, trying to figure out why I get offended when people decide not to follow me back. Hashtag offended. Hashtag I'm sad. Hashtag not feeling the love. Um, <laughs> when you're hardcore judged for asking for too many hot sauces from at Taco Bueno, uh, drive through worker literally said, uh, holy moly. Hashtag offended. Those are not my Super Bowl champions. Who wants to protest with me? Hashtag offended. (laughs) Did did Lady Gaga just use a human being as a microphone stand? Hashtag offended. All right. So uh, these are just silly tweets. But do, do you think that it's true that as a country, we are too easily offended? Well, we're going we're gonna to be talking about what, being tr- truly personally offended today, but I want to talk just for a moment about the Twitter thing, because social media has really changed what it means to be offended. If you're on social media at all, you're probably familiar with how people post comments in response to politicians, you know, they're criticizing them. I didn't include any examples here, I didn't want us to get political, but usually it gets something like, goes something like this. They're tweeting in response to, to what that politician said, and then they say something to the effect of, I can't believe you said this, and you haven't even considered this. And usually it's, you know, maybe a little more vulgar, or a little, a little bit more cutting, but what I've realized as I was preparing for the sermon this week is that, you know, people talk about being offended in, in lots of different ways. And when these people are on Twitter and being offended by public figures, they're not actually being offended. You know, they're, 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 their emotion, the, the emotion of the post is being offended, but really what's happening is they are uh, basically trying to have a debate with the world, try to communicate their opinions to the world through the guise of being offended. And then, of course, the debate goes on and on on Twitter, uh, back and forth. But it's not really being truly offended, personally offended, at least when it's not to, like, the the politicians and the world at large. And I think it's an important distinction distinction to make. You know, the Bible has has things to say about public debates, you know, arguments, things like that. The Bible says that we shouldn't be quarrelsome people. It talks about not being mean when we're in, in a debate or discussion. But personal offenses are what we're really here to talk about today. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to take all that social media stuff that you've been thinking about that's on your news feed, whatever, and I just want to set it aside today so that we can talk about what I think is really a lot more relevant to our lives, and that is when you become personally offended. Somebody did something or they didn't do something, and you feel offended, or you feel dismissed, 
or you feel angry or sad, you feel hurt. You made a meaningful contribution to something at work, and instead of acknowledging your contribution, those you work with have attributed it to someone else, or they've attributed it to sheer luck. A family member makes a comment. It's not even a full-fledged joke, but they're kind of making fun of you, and maybe they thought it was funny, but you know, maybe they're trying to get a jab in, but it just makes you angry. You're at school, and the students are all talking together you know, in this circle, and these are people you know, you would call them your friends, and you're, you're there on the outskirts of the circle, you're trying to like, interact with what's going on, and it just feels like they're ignoring you. And you don't say anything in the moment, but on the inside, you're just getting bent out of shape. Someone says something critical of you. Maybe you overheard it. Maybe they're saying it right at you. And, and whatever they have to say, it just makes you angry. When you're driving, when you're at the store, when you're in a meeting, when you're, when you're talking to someone on the phone, in your home, your friends, there are so many opportunities for us to become offended. And somewhere in the depths of our heart, we know that if we were to just get offended less, it would be a good thing for our lives. If we were to just let offense stew less often in our hearts, we, we, we really know that would be a good thing. And like this series says, we, we know that would improve my life. Well, the Bible agrees with this sentiment, and in Proverbs 12, it says this, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Fools show their annoyance at once but the prudent overlook an insult. It's a tough verse. It's tough because offense is happening all around us. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're playing the fool. And sometimes we're the ones showing our annoyance. And so we, so we, we get stuck in these things and we, and we just wonder, how can we be that prudent person? How can we respond to offenses in a mature way? How do, we, how do we break free from being perpetually bothered by things that people do to us? How do we overlook an offense? Well, we're going to talk about how we actually do this, and to find the wisdom we need, we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Here's what it says. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. The first thing you may notice here is that Paul, who is writing this letter, is putting the burden of responsibility on us. We are responsible for our response to being offended. 
Take a look at verse 13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. The whole passage is about how we need to respond well to other people in our relationships. Nothing about how the other person should be treating you better. Nothing of that. It's all about us. And so, as we begin this discussion on uh, being offended, there is a lie that we need to expose here. And we all have become to believe this lie, and it's just the way we talk. We say things like this all the time, and this is how it goes. They offended me. They made me angry. Now, it's all right that we talk this way, you know, it's just a way of talking, but we need to personally acknowledge the source of our emotions. Our emotions don't come from other people or or experiences that are happening to us outside the world. Our emotions come from us. We need to own them. They are ours. He didn't transfer his angry to me. I became angry because of stuff that was happening. The angry came from me. It came up from inside of me. The, the other person didn't make me do it. They don't have control over my emotions. The, I'm the only person who has control over my emotions and my responses to being offended, you know, to offenses. Take responsibility for your emotions. Own them. You are in control of your emotions. The only people who aren't in control of their emotions are pregnant ladies. Uh, uh, if, you get, if you're pregnant, you get a pass. You, you can blame the hormones. You know, that is, that's fine. Um, but if you're not pregnant, no excuses. Um, take, they're yours. Take responsibility for those emotions. Now, scientific experiments have revealed for us that our emotions are made like this out of an equation. Let's take a look at this. They tell us that we have our beliefs. For example, no one likes me. We have our dispositions, for example, a tendency to get angry at rejection. We have our experience, a friend turns you down for dinner. And all of these things combine to interact, and they create the emotion of, in this case, feeling offended. So, as you know, scientists have different theories about how these things interact uh, to create our emotions, but they all acknowledge that these, these are the, the essential building blocks. You got your beliefs, you got your tendencies, and these things interact with your life experiences to create your emotions. Now, which of these inputs here are you unable to control? The experience, right? You, you cannot control the stuff that happens to you. We can't control other people. We can't control the events of the world that are coming at us. But can we control what we believe? Yeah. Can we control our dispositions? Absolutely. Let's first talk about our beliefs. We have some beliefs that need to change. And if we change them, if we're able to do that, we're really, these things are really going to help us get offended less often. You're working on a project together at work. And someone makes a decision that means more work for you. This happens, right? You, you feel like it was, you kind of feel like it was to get back at you for this thing they were frustrated about the other day. See if this belief surfaces for you. This is a lie, but you know, sometimes we believe things like this. See if this surfaces for you. I know they were trying to get back at me. I know they were trying to attack me, to insult me, to make life more difficult for me. That's a lie. It is not true. 1 Corinthians 2 says the only person who knows someone's thoughts is the person themselves. And God, of course. 
but not you. The truth is, I don't know what they were intending. The only time you can know that they were really trying to hurt you is when they come out and say, I was trying to hurt you. Then you can be pretty sure. <laughs> um, but, but other than that, you, you, you can't know. You, you may say, well, well, it was pretty likely they were trying to hurt me, get back at me. And it may be likely, but you just don't really know. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we're hurt and angry, sometimes we can kind of get things confused, right? Start to see the world through a lens, through an angry lens. Instead of taking someone's action toward us and judging them negatively by that action, we should instead be gracious. Graciousness is something that God shows to us. He's merciful when he's judging us, and we should be merciful when we're judging other people. Something I've found helpful in these scenarios is to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try, I, what I personally do is I try to think up, try to think up a scenario where, uh, you know, just, just I'm looking at the whole situation through a, a more positive light, less hurtful light. They didn't say hi to me. They probably, they probably had something weighing on their mind. They got impatient with me. I don't think it was because they thought I was slow. I, th- I think it, maybe, maybe the last person they spoke with you know, was a little bit hard to deal with. And that's why. I, pr- I also find it helpful to think about how I do the very same things that they do, just in different situations. You know, A couple years ago, my wife, Katie, and I had a realization. It was, it was, it was her putting the two and two together and, and making sense of all this, but it was news to me. And what she, what she said is she told me that when I'm thinking, I make a face that to her looks angry. And for, uh, for years of our marriage, she, whenever I was like sitting on the couch thinking, she thought I was angry at her. And uh, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, this is, I mean, this is the face. Do I look angry? <laughs> you see, sometimes people just make weird faces. And, uh, you know, they're not really angry at you. If you think you can read what someone else is thinking or intending, you are believing a lie. You just aren't that good. People express and operate, and they make weird faces, and they think that they just, people are just so different. That is the diversity of God's creation, is the people are very different. Don't believe the lie that you know what they were thinking or intending. It's natural to want to figure these things out, too, by the way. But if you really want to know, what you should just do is ask them and then listen. Let's go on to our next lie. You walk into a store. Someone doesn't hold the door open for you. Maybe it hits you in the head or whatever. You walk in. You look around. You need some assistance. And uh, you're obviously looking for some assistance. And there's the customer service person. And there's this other guy who's doing the same thing. And you're pretty sure you lined up you know, for assistance first. You know, and, but, but they help him first. And then you go to buy your stuff, and the, the ladies at the checkout counter, there's two cashiers, they're joking around, and they're, maybe they're joking around about some profession, maybe like over-the-phone customer service, and you're like, hey, that's my profession. And, and you're just thinking, I can't believe what they just said about me. And then you just, you're, you're frustrated, you go out in your car, you sit and, sit and turn on the radio, and then you totally disagree with what the guy on the radio is saying. And you're, and you're like, what is wrong with this world? Nothing goes the way it should, no one acts the way they should, and no one believes the things they should. (laughs) 
<laughs> we got an amen. <laughs> here's, here's the problem belief. Here's the problem belief. Life should go the way I expect it to, the way I want it to, and people should believe the same things and act the same way that I do. The only person who can rightfully say life should go the way I expect it to, the way I want it to, the people, and the people should believe the same things and, uh, and act the same way that I do, the only person who can rightfully say that is God. You see, because we're human, we have a little bit of this thing called self-interest bias. You know, we see the, the world through the lens of our own self-interest. And because of that, a lot of times we just can't see the whole picture. We don't see that the guy who didn't open the door for you, you know, he smiled at you while you were walking up and you didn't return the smile. And so he was frustrated and he was thinking about that and he forgot to hold the door open for you. And, and the guy who got helped first, he was pretty sure he lined up first. Um, and the ladies who were joking about your profession, you know, they, they, they're thinking, you know, good grief, you know, we were just joking around, don't be so sensitive. And, uh, and that guy on the radio who, who doesn't have the opinions that you think he should, he also does not, he, he thinks your opinions, you know. He, does, he, he doesn't think you should have those opinions, too. So we wonder, you know, who, who is right? Beware of the danger of making yourself the benchmark for what is true and right. God is the benchmark for what is true and right, and he doesn't tell us most of the time most of the multitude of different scenarios that we find ourselves in life. He, most of the time, we have no idea what is, what is really, truly right. A lot of times we just don't know. It's a lie that life should go the way I expect it to, the way I want it to. People should believe the same things and act the same way that I do. The truth is that life should go the way God wants it to because he has no self-interest bias. And he is the benchmark for what is true and right. Third lie. A bunch of people you know are getting together to have fun. Oh, I love to have fun. But they haven't invited you. And you find out about it. It's like, oh, that's rough, right? And you think, why didn't they invite me? Do they not care about me at all? I mean, we're friends. I feel like the people in my life, I mean, nothing to them. My life is horrible. You know, I, nobody cares about me. Here's the lie we sometimes believe. How people treat me signifies how important I am. How people treat me signifies how important I am. This is a lie. The truth is that God's love for you is what signifies how important you are. 1 John 3 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that He calls us His children. That's how God sees you. The Bible tells us that we are dearly beloved, You are dearly beloved. When Jesus died on on the cross, that was an act of his love. God showing you his love. He provides for us. He rescues us. He puts so many good things in our lives that we don't notice a lot of times. We don't notice that they're actually gifts from him designed to show us that he loves us. He loves us. That is our identity. He loves you. Well, we've gotten stuck believing this lie that the way people treat us is our identity. And plenty of times they don't treat us very well, do they? But if you believe the truth about who you are, that you are a child of God, that he loves you, when it so happens that people don't treat you very well, and it's going to happen, it won't unravel your identity. 
as a beloved child of God, you'll know this is who I really am. They're not treating me that way, but this is who I am. So believe and notice God's love for you. Now, I believe these, these things, but sometimes my emotions tell me a different story. When I experience rejection, I believe that God loves me. I believe that his love is what determines my significance and value in life. But then I have these emotions of like deep sadness and, and uh, hurt. And you know what? These emotions tell me that I don't believe these things as much, as well, as thoroughly as I think I do. You see, your emotions will tell you what you, what you really believe. What are your emotions telling you about what you believe? Are they telling you that you believe that the world is out to get me? Is it possible that you really believe things like, I am worthless, or people hate me? Or maybe it's, I should be God and get to control life how I see fit. You know, the fact that we can say these things and believe these things, and yet the inner part of our soul hasn't really gotten the message yet, is the reason that Paul in Colossians 3, verse 16, he says that we should let the truth of Christ fill our lives. Not just I know it and I agree with it, but we need to get it more fully into our souls. And so how do we do that? What does he say? He says, he says teaching. He says worship. Fellowship with other Christians. That's how you fill your life with the truth of Christ. Basically, you need to come to church more often. <laughs> and don't just watch. Get into it. Amen. You know, when we worship, you know, don't, don't just sing. You know, let, let those, those, those words and the truth enter your soul as you are worshiping. And then take it home with you. Sing it at home and, and let it fill your, your, your life at home. Then, then take it to work and let it fill your life at work. Let it fill the way you live. Let, let Christ's truth fill your life. So we had our equation. Beliefs, dispositions, experiences. And these things cause our emotions. If we want to have the right beliefs, we need to let the tr truth of Christ fill our lives. We can't change our experiences, but how about those dispositions? You might be thinking, dispositions, what is that? <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, as a church, we look at life from a Bible perspective. And you might be wondering, I don't know if the Bible has anything to say about dispositions. It does. James chapter 1, 19 says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, that's a tendency to, to listen. Slow to become angry. That's a tendency to not become angry. These are dispositions. They're, they're tendencies. And here's the thing. Every single positive virtue in the Bible is a disposition. Take a look at verse 12 in Colossians. So look at the things that Paul's mentioning. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, loving. When Paul says these, you know, to, put these, to clothe yourself with mercy, he's not saying be merciful one time. You can't say, I'm a forgiving person. I forgave somebody last summer. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's a tendency towards mercy. And that's why the passage uses the imagery of clothing. You're putting on these virtues like clothing. 
For several years of my life, I, I worked as a carpenter, and I worked on this, this building where we were forming con- concrete for the high-rise building. And when I worked on this job, I had special clothing that I would wear. The clothing was designed for the sort of work that I was doing. Uh, of course, we had steel-toed boots, we had a hard hat, things like that. But we had, we had stuff that was specially designed for the, the, what we were doing. You know, I, I had overalls that would not snag when I was running pro, across, you know, near sharp edges. Uh, we, I, had, uh, I dressed in layers because there would be dramatic temperature changes because we had to heat the concrete during the winter and sometimes you'd be right next to the heater and you had to, to kind of take off a few layers to work in the environment. I had a harness and a retractable lifeline that I would also wear to keep me from falling off the building. And then on top of that, I had a tool belt. And so if, if, if you were to put on all the things that I put on for a given day at work, uh, including the 15-pound retractable lifeline and the tool belt loaded with all those tools and nails and whatnot, the layers, the harness, restricts your motion, you would have said, Ben, how can you work like this? You know, it would have been one of those deals. And I'll tell you, it was not very comfortable the first day. (laughs) It's like that with the virtues. The first time you start wearing these virtues as dispositions, it's not going to feel right. It's going to feel unnatural. It's going to feel uncomfortable. Something's going to feel wrong. Now, you know, a carpenter usually has uh, pouches, right? His tool pouches. And they're usually on the sides. You know, for some of the Finnish guys, they wear them on the front. But the tool pouches are usually on the sides. Well, where where do you think they keep that hammer? Most of the time, they're keeping it on the back, on on the back of the belt. Some people do it different, but most people keep it on the back. And so... If you work with the tools, you understand why, because if you keep it on the sides, it, it, it gets caught on things, it starts falling off, it bumps your knee every time you walk. And, and so, so now when, you, when, you have that, when you're, a, if you're a carpenter, if you've ever watched a carpenter work, when he goes to grab that hammer, do you think he goes like this? No. Do you think he goes like this? Trying to figure out where it is? Oh, there it is. All right, got it. Switch hands. No. If you've ever seen a carpenter work, it's like this. And, the, and they, no, there's no switching hands to get it ready to hammer something. It's one motion, one fluid motion. They don't start out that way. I'll be honest, when I started out, it didn't look very pretty. I did plenty of this. But you do it a hundred times, you do it a thousand times, and eventually you've got yourself a disposition, a habit. You have a disposition to get angry. How do you change that to a disposition to forgive? You just do it. You practice. You practice and you practice. And you know what? It's going to feel unnatural at first. But go out and look for opportunities to forgive. You know, you don't even have to go out for opportunities. I mean, I'm telling you, you walk out of the church today, someone's probably going to do something, right? You know, it's like so they give you a mean look. You just, you just think, I forgive you. Yeah, if somebody bumps into you, forgive you. You know, uh, just somebody... Says something insensitive, I forgive you. So, d- don't say it, just think it. You know? <laughs> if, you, if you say it, we're going to have problems. Uh, so, uh, look at these virtues that we've talked about and think about all the opportunities you're going to have this week to practice them. I mean, at work, somebody's taking credit for your work. An opportunity to practice humility. Stuck in line at the grocery store, an opportunity to practice patience. Driving on the highway, somebody cuts you off. Opportunity to make an allowance for somebody else's fault. 
You can come home and just do something nice for somebody. They didn't do anything nice for me recently, but I'm just going to do something nice for them because I want to practice the virtue of love. Doesn't sound very natural, does it? That's because we haven't made it a disposition yet. You know, this is going to take a lot of emotion, a lot of motivation, you know, and as I was thinking about this, you know, it is really tough to change our ingrained habits, deeply ingrained in some cases, right? It is tough to change those habits. And in order to do this, we are going to need some motivation. We need some motivation to jump out of the old way into the new way. And here's where I want to encourage you to get your motivation. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, you probably do something, right? Maybe it's honk your horn. Hopefully that's the worst of it. Um, Maybe you uh, say something, you think something. Now, when you cut someone else off, everybody makes mistakes sometimes. It was a mistake, you know. Maybe you hear them honking their horn behind you. You look in your rearview mirror and the guy's like this. And, uh, and you th- then your response is, uh, you maybe honk this as you, you drive. You, you, you say something to the effect of, calm down, you're a crazy person. <laughs> right? <laughs> Now, let's be honest. This dynamic, whether, uh, where, the, where the other person is the crazy person, you know, whether you're on this side or that side, they're still the crazy person. Uh, you know, this dynamic, whether you do it in driving or not, this dynamic is a real dynamic in our lives in a variety of areas of our life. The situation is essentially the same, but we have totally different opinions about it depending on whether we are on the giving side or the receiving side of the insult. That is really selfish. That is, that is, it is broken. But we do this. And God, through the person of Jesus Christ, forgives us for things like this. He forgives us for being this way. And that is a really wonderful thing. He is so forgiving of us. You know, in so much of life, he does not make us feel the consequences of our actions. He rescues us. He forgives us for deep, deep brokenness and selfishness. So if this is true, we should be ready to forgive those small offenses that come our way in life. It would be so wrong of us to not forgive those small things when we have been forgiven of so much. So much deep, horrible brokenness. We should, we should be willing to do this. We can, we can do this since he has forgiven us so much. We do this by taking responsibility for our emotions, changing what we believe by filling our lives with the truth of Christ, all of our lives. And then we change our disposition by forcing ourselves to do the totally unnatural thing and practice a grace-filled response to everything that comes our way. That's how we do it. So let's do that. Would you stand?